All right, Triple Sec, good morning. I'm sorry, a little bit of technical difficulties over here. We're good to go. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Share to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Adr Aleph. To thank Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating all the Sherman Rushos this month in memory of Paul's grandparents, Samuel Pollock, Zecharia Ben Zecharia, and Dina Basrabdov. I got it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank Art and Shari Miller for dedicating all the Shirman Joshua's this month, the loving memory of Art's brother, Richard Miller, Ruvain Ben Betzalel, the Rachel. We also thank our Week of Learning sponsors, Ayal Steinberg for the Schosseva de Fuashlema for Shulamis Bas Susha. With that, let us begin the beautiful daf out of us today. A lot to do today, Baruch Hashem. Today's daf is Chav Zayin. But we are actually picking up more towards the middle of Chav Vav on the base, 26b. We're picking up about 18 lines down from the top on 26b. So as you remember, again, we left off in the middle of the case yesterday regarding a situation where one in, where one experiences multiple losses. So then the halacha discusses under what circumstances then, how does one tear kriya? Is it one kriya, multiple kriyas? So we left off with the following case. We actually read this case while we're beginning again. Meis aviv, meis imo, meis achid, meis achoso. What happens if chasashon person endures multiple losses? He loses his father, his mother, his brother. What happens in his sister? What happens? So the Tanakhama says, he tears one tear. One tear for all of those losses. Rabbi Yehudim Abiseira Omer, Rabbi Yehudim Abiseira says, For all the other losses, you could tear one tear, but one must tear a separate tear for one's parents. Lefisheimosifin, because again, yesterday we discussed the concept that if one experienced the loss and Torkriya, the ability to go ahead and extend that loss, extend that loss, if one were to go ahead and experience an additional loss. Well, that works for everyone except for one's parents. So my time, in other words, one's parents always require their own Kriya. My time, because Rabbi said the din of kibbutz avaim requires that when one loses a parent, one goes ahead and does an additional kriya and does not extend a previously existing tear. Amr Shmuel, halach Rabbi Yudim Misera. Shmuel's halacha follows, follows Rabbi Yudim Misera. Which Rabbi says something very interesting, which is that halacha lemaisa, halacha lemaisa. If you were to go ahead and person were to go ahead and experience multiple losses one could tear one kriya for multiple losses, except for one's parents. For parents, one would have to go ahead and tear a separate kriya as well. I saw Sammy motioning it before. There's another issue as well, which is that parents tear kriya. For parents, one tears on the left. For other relatives, one tears on the right. This goes with the perspective that potentially if one were to tear on the left for other relatives as well, one would be Yodse. So if, if, you, if you adopt that approach and one already tore on the left, that's where the Havamina is that one could extend for parents. Kamash Malam, that parents always require their own Kriya. Umiya Mashmal, Akhid Shmuel really say, Lach Vazra Yudim Ebeseira. So it says, Digimara Vama Shmuel, Akhid Remeka Be'evil. But first, the first wide line, Chavavam Abeis, Ibit Shmuel said, the halacha normally follows the lenient opinion by Hilchos Avelos, to which the Gemara said, "You're right, but Avelos lochod ukriya lochod." Rabbi says it's very interesting. We look at the halachos of Avelos and the halachos of Kriya 
as two separate things, which is really quite a fascinating idea. So therefore, yes, in general, we always treat the halachos of Avelos, we always follow the lenient opinion. But again, here we're talking about the halachos of Kriya. By the halachos of Kriya, could be that we will be more machmir. Interesting. Adhichon Korea. So we'll say, let's say going with this situation where one could extend the same tear for multiple losses, how far down on a garment can you tear? To which the Gemara says, Atiburo, literally again until your stomach, until one's navel, right? So the Gemara says, Other opinion says, no, 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 you can't extend. Kriya is only meaningful when it's by the heart. So you can't really extend any further down other than the heart. Even though, again, there's no explicit raya to this, there is a Pasuk makes mention of it. Literally, again, tear your hearts and do not tear your clothing. So you see over here that the reference of Kriya is by the heart. It's by the heart. Okay? So I will say, let's say you have a situation where a person experienced multiple losses so that they've torn their garment down to the stomach, down to the navel. And now what happens? They experience more losses. So you can't tear any further down. What should you do? So the Gemara said, Ultimately, one distances. One could then begin a tear on another part of a garment. One distances, again, three finger breaths to the next, we'll call it, column of tearing. And one could continue to tear. If the front part of the garment becomes filled with tears, one could turn around the garment and then tear it again. Similarly, again, if the top of the garment becomes filled with tears, one could go ahead and invert the garment and begin to tear it again as well. And in general, when one tears the bottom of a garment or the side of a garment, one is not yotze. Kriya must be something that is discernible and recognizable. And therefore, it must take place on the front part of the, of the garment. If you tear on the bottom of your garment, tear on the side of your garment, that does not fulfill the mitzvah of Kriya. This is fascinating. There's only one person who tears Kriya on the bottom of his garment, and that is the Kohen Gadol. Now, I will say, this is fascinating. It's not a contradiction. Why does the Kohen Gadol tear Kriya on the bottom of his garment? Really, because why? The Kohen Gadol is not allowed to tear Kriya. So what we do is we allow him to do some form of behavioral mourning through tearing his garment, but not in a way that's halachically significant. In other words, it's the same halacha. Tearing on the bottom of your garment is not Kriya. That is why a Kohen Gadol is allowed to do it. So we let him do it as a form of like behavioral avelos, but it does not count as actual kriya. Therefore, he's not in violation of his standards, which do not allow for observable mourning for anyone. Pligo, pligo So this is an interesting discussion. One opinion says kol shiva korel. Now, see, look at Rashi. Rashi says, middle of the short lines of Rashi, call Shiva, So I'll say, here's the case. Let's say you have an individual, call him Shimon, and Shimon is sitting Shiva for, for, for his brother. Okay, and then what happens? During Shiva, his sister passes away. So he, he incurs another loss, he incurs another loss during Shiva. So what does he do? So the first opinion says, call Shiva Korea. All Shiva, when one goes ahead and experiences another loss, 
you can't extend the current tear, but rather you have to tear another tear. You have to do a second kriya. La'achar shiva mosif. But let's say if Shimon finishes Shiva for his brother and then his sister passes away, he could extend that very same tear. That's the first opinion. The Chagar, second opinion, says, no, kol shloshim korea. Essentially, if you encounter a loss, you do Kriya, and then you encounter a second loss. During shloshim, you have to tear another tear. After shloshim, la'achar shloshim, mosif. You can add on to the first tear. So Rav says, "It's interesting, Machlokes Maskev Lo Abizira Man Da Amar Kol Shiva Korea Amai." So Rav says the opinion that says that when you encounter another loss during Shiva. So again, Reuben is sitting Shiva for his brother, and then his sister passed away. The first opinion says you have to tear another tear. What's his logic? Because since during Shiva you're not allowed to mend the tear extending an already existing tear doesn't look like an act of Kriya. So the Gemara says, therefore again, after Shiva, where you're allowed to mend the tear, right? Depending for who, but for sure, like in some type of loose way, right? Halach when you extend that tear, that is halachically significant. But what about the fact that we said that a woman is permitted to go ahead and loosely stitch up her tear immediately? That's a different kind of case. But we allow women to go ahead and sew up the tear in her garment, right? we allow her to do a loose stitching, the same way that today we allow women to go ahead and you know use safety pins to go ahead and close up the tear. That's her own sneeze. So I'll say that is not that that's immaterial for our discussion at hand. Uman da Amar, Shloshim Korea, and I will say ultimately the opinion that said that for all Shloshim, if you encounter another loss, you have to tear a new Kriya. So the Gemara says, Amai, Delonitin La'achoso, because at the end of the day, since during Shloshim, you're not permitted to permanently mend the garment, therefore extending the already existing tear does not have the appearance of Kriya. I bought about for a parent for whom you never have the ability to go ahead and fully mend up the tear. Would that mean that you're never allowed to extend that tear for any of the other relatives? To which the Gemara says, That's different. We'll say that's a din in Kibot Aveim. The din in Kibot Aveim demands that we never sew up that tear that we have torn for our parents. Good. So I'll say, just you should know the way, the way the Shukhnar Paskins is halacha lamaisa like the first opinion, namely, if a person is sitting shiva and they chas shalom encounter another loss, they can't extend the tear. They have to tear a new kriya. If, however, what, one is sitting shiva and then after shiva, one encounters another loss, they can go ahead and extend that same tear. Now again, that presupposes that the second loss halachically mirrors the first. In other words, that the two losses are in the same category. Obviously, if the first, you know, if, if, if Shimon loses his brother, tore Kriya for him, and then after Shiva, or yeah, after Shiva loses his father, then of course it's not going to work. Because remember, for the brother, he tore over the right side. For the father, he's going to have to tear over the left side. So therefore, obviously, you have to make a new Kriya. But technically speaking, if Ruben lost his brother, tore Kriya on the right side, after Shiva loses his sister, technically speaking, he could put back on that torn garment 
tear it further, and ultimately that would satisfy the din of Kriya. Says the Gemara, Tana Abaron, Hayoti Bebeget Karolofne Ames, Harisa Gozalas Ames and Vesachan. What's a very interesting Gemara? If you go out, in other words, the lesson of Yotze is if you show up to the Levaya with an article of clothing that is already torn. Let's say you have a fine situation. Shimon, uh, Shimon, lost, uh, Shimon lost his father. And what happens? It happens to be that Shimon has a shirt that's torn. Nothing to do with Kriya. Nothing to do with Kriya. He uh, got stuck on a thorn bush, whatever it is. And he has an article of clothing that's already torn. So if you show up to the Levaya with an already torn article of clothing, the Gemara says, Literally, you're stealing. You're stealing from the dead and from the living. The boss said, Lushen of stealing over here is really like a din almost of Gneva's Das, right? Deception. Deception. And you're making it look like you've torn your clothing when in fact you have not torn your clothing at all. So you're engaging in deceptive practices, both vis a vis the living as well as the dead. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Rabbi Shimon Amil Omer, how Omer, so I'll say, fine, that, that we're going to just, the Gemara is going to give a price just of like separate independent laws. We'll say it's just also interesting. This Gemara is another raya. You know, we have the concept that the neshama of the mace is with the body from between the death of, from the period of death through burial. So the notion that if a person shows up to the Levaya in a torn article of clothing, that they're deceiving the dead is a raya to the fact that the neshama of the deceased is present there as well. So you're deceiving, you're deceiving the dead and you're deceiving the living. This is a fascinating case. I, let's say, again, I say to Ruvain, Ruvain, I'm going, all right, can, can I borrow your, can I borrow your uh, jacket? Because I'm going to visit my father who's very sick. And what happens? And then a person, then what happens? The person shows up and he finds that his father has passed away. So I will say, remember again, the Gemara is operating with the idea that if, right, when, when do you do Kriya? Right, according to the Gemara's perspective, when do you do Kriya? As soon as you hear about the death. Right now, again, remember we spoke about this yesterday. Our contemporary practice is different. We are Sunday. We we do kriya when at Levaya because not everyone is proficient in kriya. We wait for the chevra kadisha. But lamaisa, from the pure Talmudic perspective, you're doing kriya at either b'shasi tias neshama if you're there at the, if you're there at the moment of death or when you hear about death. So in this case, we'll call him Ruvain, is going to borrow the jacket from Shimon. He says, I'm going to visit my father who's very ill. Shows up, Ruvain shows up, his father passed away. What's what's ta'alocha? Korea, he tears the jacket, umacho, and he sews it back up. And when he comes back home, he gives Ruvain, he gives Shimon back the article of clothing. And essentially, he pays him for the damages. Pays him the damages. So I will say, so therefore, again, Ruven, Ruven, Ruven borrowed the article of clothing, told Shimon he's going to visit his sick father. He tears it, fixes it, and pays him for damages. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says, uh, good. But however, if Ruven did not tell Shimon that he was going to visit his father who's very sick, so Ruven does not have a license to tear the garment. So I will say, this is a fascinating halacha. What the Gemara essentially is saying is like this. When Ruben says to Shimon, can I, borrow, can I borrow your shirt? Can I borrow your jacket? Because I'm going to visit my father who's very sick. 
when Shimon agrees to lend the jacket, implicit in that act of lending is what? Is what? The license to tear. The license to tear. So therefore, when Reuven gets to his father and he sees that his father has died, he has the right to tear the garment. Now, he has the right to tear the garment, but again, but he's damaged. He's damaged. So therefore, the Gemara says, you have the, you have the right to tear it, but then you're also obligated to go ahead and pay Shimon in a way that makes him whole for the damages. But if Reuven never said that he's going to visit his father who is very ill, under those circumstances, he has no right to tear someone else's garment. Quite fascinating. Says the Gemara, Tana Rabbanon, another fascinating halacha, Chol Lomes. let's say a person is very ill, and they have a relative who's very ill. In other words, let's say Reuven is very sick. Reuven is very sick. And the Reuven's father, or Reuven's brother, you know, Shimon is also very sick. So now what happens? And now Shimon passes away. Shimon passes away. So it says the Gimara, So let's listen to this. There is a right in, in halacha to withhold information for the benefit of the mourner. So if we know that Reuven himself is very sick and Reuven is, is in a fragile state, and if Reuven hears that his brother Shimon passed away, that it's going to be very bad for his situation, you are allowed to withhold information. You're allowed to withhold information and do not tell him about the death. Vein Mekarim Bifanov, don't, don't, don't do Kriya, right? Don't have anyone walk in front of him with a torn garment. Umeshaskin as Hanashim Mipanov, make sure no one cries in front of him. So this is a fascinating halacha. You are allowed to go ahead and withhold information. Withhold information. I will say, this comes up, this halacha comes up all of the time, where a person is elderly and a person is in a fragile state and family members, again, it's, it's a very hard decision to make, but family members will decide that is in the best interest of this person not to know about the loss. So I will say, this, this goes back also to what we spoke about a little bit earlier about Shmuel Krova and Shmuel Rechoka. That remember, again, if you hear about a death after 30 days, you don't have to observe Shiva and Shloshim, you just observe a little bit of, of, of mourning. So sometimes what people will do for an elderly, elderly relative is withhold the information for 30 days. Withhold, it's not easy, right? But withhold the information for 30 days in order that it becomes a shmur rechoka, and that way the elderly person doesn't have to go ahead and, doesn't have to go ahead and um, mourn, right? Observe shiva and shloshim. Again, it's a difficult matzah when families have to face it, but you see that halacha says, I will say, it also teaches us another musar haskil. There is not necessarily an obligation to share everything. And I will say, sometimes people think that like the hallmark of a good relationship is that you're an open book and you share everything. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes, sometimes a person has to be measured in what they share and what they don't share. You know, Dr. Abraham Tversky, writes about this and he says that sometimes in a marriage, he says sometimes in a marriage, spouses share things and they think that like the, the, the goal of a, of a beautiful, loving marriage is you share everything. And Rabbi Tversky says, it depends why you share it. Sometimes we share things in order to make ourselves feel better, make ourselves feel better. And how do I make myself feel better? Something's really weighing on my mind. And so what do I do? I share it. Now, why am I sharing it? Because I don't realize what I'm actually, now again, if I have a problem and my spouse can help me with it, then that's fantastic. But sometimes we share things and we don't even realize what I'm actually doing is I'm taking the load off me and I'm putting it on someone else. 
when I take a load, when I when a person takes a load off themselves and puts it on someone else, often that could be a selfish endeavor. What I'm saying is like I'm exhausted from carrying this around. I'm putting it on you. So there are times. Rabbi writes about this, and it's really quite a fascinating episode. That sometimes sharing is good, and sometimes sharing is selfish, and that a person has to understand in the in the dynamic of a relationship. When am I sharing? Because maybe the other person will want to know, or because ultimately, again, the other person needs to know, or the other person could help me, versus when is it just an exercise in selfishness because I want to make myself feel better. But in the pursuit of making myself feel better, what I'm doing is causing pain to someone else. Because I will say, sometimes there are things that are troublesome and difficult, and the other person could do absolutely nothing to help me. And the only thing I'm gonna do is cause a person pain. And a person really has to think long and hard before they go ahead and they share that piece of information. An incredible yisod. So the Gemara goes right there, the Gemara says, So we'll say, this is a fascinating halacha. We do kriya on a katan in order to go ahead and exacerbate the pain of everyone else. And as Rabbi say, a katan. Let's say Chasram Rahman a child endures a loss. There is no a katan doesn't have an obligation to mitzvahs. So let's say Chasram a child loses a parent. Right? So there is no obligation that a child has in mourning. Remember, this is not a din in mourning, this is a din in mitzvahs. So Kriya is a is a chiyuv for anyone who's obligated to mitzvahs. So a child doesn't have an obligation to mitzvahs. Yet the Gemara says we do Kriya for a katan. Why? Not for the katan. But it amplifies the pain of everyone who is experiencing the loss. Because I will say, anyone who has ever been to a Levaya, where there are children involved, and there are children with torn clothing, and there are children saying, saying Kaddish, there is nothing more painful in the world. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, I shouldn't say nothing more painful than so many painful things in the world. It's incredibly painful to see. So the Gemara says that we tear, we ha- we tear Kriya for the chill, for the katan, not because the katan is obligated, but ultimately in order to intensify the pain of everyone else. The It's interesting, Allah. We tear Kriya when one tears Kriya for their in-laws. Right? This is what we're talking about when your in-laws pass away, not when your in-laws are alive. Right? So, I'll say, so, so, so again, so what, what, one, one tears Kriya, one tears Kriya for, for their in-laws. So the Gemara says, so why is this? So the Gemara says, ultimately, again, out of covet for one's wife. Now, Bosa, we spoke about this, these halachas before. In general, today, the Ramah Paskins, that there is an implied mechila. For all of these, for all of these types of mourning. So today, in other words, in other words, the Gemara says you tear kriya for the death of your father-in-law, the death of your mother-in-law. That's alts covered to your wife, right? So therefore, again, we'll say anything that happens alts covered. The person who you're giving covet to has right to be mochel on that covet, to forgive that covet. So the Ramos says that today, contemporarily, we assume that everyone is mochel on this type of covet. So a wife is mochel on this covet, Legabi, her parents. Again, we've seen this in all these other cases as well. Vamra papa, tana ba'avaravasi, it's very interesting halacha that often is not really understood. An avel is not supposed to have a baby on his lap. Now, now the reason, and this is an important halacha, it could be again, if let's say, if the person who's sitting shiva is a young person, has a young family, 
or again, sometimes it's an older person, but there are other family members who are there in the Shiva home, an Avel is not supposed to have a baby on his lap. What's the reason for that? Shemavila de Schok, because the beautiful part about babies is they make people happy. And literally, again, it's, it's a degrading practice. The idea being mourning is about mourning, right? Shiva is about Shiva. And it's not about diluting the experience with anything that brings joy. We'll, say, we'll, we'll discuss, if we get to the end of today's daf, the, the entire dynamic of Shiva is a full envelopment in the dynamic of loss. And therefore, anything which diminishes from that is, is contrary to the halacha. So therefore, the Gemara says, the Avel having a baby on his lap by definition, again, is counter to the, to the concept of Avelus and ultimately should not be done. Incredible. So we'll say the Mishnah said, Remember again, the Mishnah said, when those who come to console the mourner, right? Those who come to go ahead. And we'll say, here's what's fascinating. It's clear from the Mishnah that the practice used to be that other people, non-mourners, would go ahead and eat the Sudas Havra, the meal of consolation, which is the meal right after the Levaya, people would come to eat that with the Avel. Here was the difference. The Avel would eat that meal on an overturned bed, right? Remember, Kfiya Samita. Everyone else eats it on a bed that is upright. So it says, the Gemara says, if you're very close with the Avel, if you're very close with the Avel, you eat, you can eat together with them on an overturned bed. But if you're not very close with the Avel, you eat on an upright bed. So the Gemara tells the story, Rava Isra Be Milsa, Rava experienced the loss, he was sitting Shiva, Alagabe Abba Bar Merta, Tahu Abba Bar Minyumi. So Abba came to visit him and came to have the Sudas Havra with him. So the Gemara says, Rava, so Rava Zakif, Abba Bar Merta Kafi. So when he came in, Rava overturned the bed. In other words, I should say, turned the bed upright. So Abba, who was coming to eat with him, would sit on a bed that was right side up. Abba Bar Merta Kafi, Abba Bar Merta overturned it. Omar, so Rava said, so Kama less be This Talmud Chacham lacks so much common sense. Which I will say, Rava was essentially saying what? It's actually quite fascinating. Rava was saying, Abba really thinks that we're a lot closer than we actually are. I'll say it's always interesting, right? You have relationships like this where people feel much closer to you than you actually feel to them. So Abba's coming in and he overturns the bed because he thinks he's going to sit. Rav is like, no, no, we're not that close. Right? So he says, thank you for coming. But Lamais again, sit on the, sit on the upright bed. Pretty incredible. Well, so, you know, it is interesting. Yeah, whatever. There's so much to say about this. You know, in general about, like, Rava, just leave it alone, right? Just like, what, what, what's the big deal? So I will say, you see from here also an interesting sort about integrity and honesty in relationships, right? And, 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 being, and being honest with people about where you are in your relationships with them. Rava, and again, truth is, it also, Rava said this was a halachic issue, right? The halachic issue is that if you're not close with the Aval, you should not be sitting on an overturned bed. So Rava was doing this, not Al's relationship, but Al's halacha, okay? Different opinions about where the relationship was holding. So if a person is traveling, and in the midst of their travels, they hear about a loss. 
suffer a loss. Top of Chav Zayin. Im yochel emayit v'asako yimayit. So we'll say, say a person is on a business trip and he suffers this loss. So if he could diminish his business dealings, he should diminish his business dealings. Ve'im lav yigagal If not, if not, what he should just do is combine his efforts together with others. And others are both say, this goes back to what we saw before. There's a whole discussion in general about an inability to engage in business practices, to engage in work. We'll call it work. Over the course of Shiva, we've also seen interesting machloksim about what kind of work are we talking about. Is it manual labor? Is it just business? See what the Gemara is saying is if you're traveling and you suffer a loss, so the, and, you, and you literally not suffer a loss in business, suffer, you know, somebody dies, close relative dies, so again, you have to really diminish your business dealings and for some reason, you're in a situation where you can't fully stop Pull your efforts with other people, so at least it's not you yourself doing business. Back to overturning the beds. When do you? At what point in time in the morning in the morning process do you overturn the beds? So the Gemara says, beso. As soon as the corpse is taken, as soon as the body is taken out of the house, right, the place where it died. I'll just point out the Gemara is presupposing that shiva, everything is observed where the person died. That is the ideal. That is the ideal. That Shiva is observed in the home where the person passed away. Again, it has to be possible. The home has to be large enough. You have to be in the same geographic location. But Lamais, that's the most presupposing. So therefore, once the body is taken out of the home, that's when we overturn the bed. Divi Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says, no, Mishiyistam Agolo. Rabbi Yeshua says, no, in fact, the beds aren't overturned until when? Now, Yistam Agolo literally means until the lid is placed on the casket. Colloquially in halacha, what it often refers to is when the grave itself is filled in. See, we're going to see that the laws of Shiva are really only triggered once the grave is filled in. There are exceptions to this, where, like we've seen before, you're not going to the Levaya. Right? So, in a situation, you're not going to the Levaya, so ultimately, again, Shiva would begin that very day. But assuming that's not the case, halacha lamaisa. Once the grave is filled in, is when is when the laws of Shiva begin. So the Gemara says, One time, Rabbi Gamliel Azakim passed away. Now he died. Then they said, you know, that one time he passed away. When he passed away, when he passed away. So what happens? As soon as his body was taken out of his home, Rabbi Eliezer said, "Turn over your beds. Turn over your beds." Once the grave was filled in, Rabbi Yoshua said to the family, turn over your beds. Amrullah, the family said to him, We already turned it over. We already turned over our beds based on the advice of the elder Rabbi Eliezer. Okay, So we'll say, now we transition to an interesting halacha. We know that on Shabbos, there are no external displays of mourning which means essentially the house is put back as it was. So one of the interesting things that will happen is, we'll, we'll um, upright, not upright, um, yeah, we'll, we'll upright all of the beds. Upright all the beds. So the Gemara asks, so at what point in time on Erev Shabbos can we upright all of the beds? To which the Gemara says, Mina mincha ulamayla, from mincha na. Now, Bosetosis discusses, so which mincha is this? Right? Is this mincha gidola? Is this mincha kitano? 
Is this six and a half hours into the day? Is this nine and a half hours into the day? So Tosis has a discussion about this. So we'll say, so the, the you know, mid, mid, from the halachic perspective, once Mincha Gidola is over, or once you pass Mincha Gidola, technically speaking, you're within your right to go ahead and remove the external displays of morning. Conventional wisdom is we sit past Mincha Gidola really into the afternoon. And essentially the way Avelis works on Erev Shabbos is Essentially, we find, you see from the other, how much time do you need to get ready for Shabbos, right? You know, n- not like what's the bare minimum, but how much time do you need to get ready for Shabbos, you know, benachos, so two hours, three hours beforehand, and that's ultimately when you turn the house back over. Amr Abarafuna, Afal Pikin, in Yoshev Allah, interesting Even though on Erev Shabbos, you're allowed to go ahead and upright the beds, and also this includes uncovering the mirrors, all these things. You're not allowed to sit on the bed until Shabbos itself. In other words, so you're allowed to put the house back together sometime before Shabbos, but Lamaisa, the Avel can't sit on the upright bed until actual Shabbos. Well, Lamaisa Shabbos, and Lamaisa Shabbos, the morning obligations return. Now, this is an interesting case. Let's say Lamaisa Shabbos, let's say technically speaking, Sunday is the seventh day of Shiva. And we know we pass in Niktas Yom Kikulo, that part of the day counts as the whole. So a person is only going to sit for a little bit on Sunday morning and that's it. Nevertheless, the Gemara says you have to go ahead and turn over the beds on Matzah Shabbos. So even though you only have a little bit of time to sit Shiva on, a little bit of Shiva remaining, you still have to go ahead and turn back all of the beds. So the Gemara says, say first white line, when a person turns over his bed, it's not just your bed. It's not just the bed you sleep on, the bed you sit on. You have to turn over all of the beds in the house. And even if technically speaking, you have 10 beds throughout the entire house, Kofes kulon, you have to go ahead and overturn them all. Vafilu chamisha achin umeis echad, and was even if there are five brothers and one brother passed away, kulon kofen, everyone turns over their beds. Now both sides. Now what this means? Everyone turns over their beds. The Gemara means in their respective homes. So I will say this gets into another discussion, which we're going to get into, which is as follows: What if you have a situation where? people, a family are sitting Shiva in one home, but maybe they're going back to their respective homes to go ahead and sleep. So what are the halachos concerning those respective homes? So the Gemara here makes it sound like they're obligated to turn over their beds in their respective homes as well. The truth is we don't really pask in that way. We pask in that the dinim of Avelos that we're learning apply to the Shivam that everyone's sitting in. If halacha lemaisa, the Avel goes home to sleep, there are certain restrictions that apply. For example, they should cover any mirrors that are going to be in the places where they're going to be in the house. You don't have to cover in the whole house, but they should cover in the places where they're going to be. But Lamaisa, there would not be this thing of Kfiya Samita. Samita miyuchedes lekelim. It's interesting, Allah. If you have a bed that's not really used for sitting, but that's used for storage. In other words, you have a bed that you put stuff on, there is no din in Kfiya Samita there. So what you see from here is the din of Kfiya Samita is only a din in a bed that is used for sitting. Dargash, what if you have a dargash? You don't have to turn over. I will say, we have no idea what a dargash is. I will see, we'll see in the Gemara. So a dargash, apparently you don't have to turn over, you just stand it up. 
And when you stand it up on its side, essentially you render it unusable. So the Gemara says, Rav Shimon Gamliel Omer Dargosh Matirs Karbitov Vunelfa Me'ilov. Dargosh, no, no, all you have to do is go ahead and literally, so, so Matir Karbitov, Karbitov Rashi says over Tsuosov, you go ahead and unknot, untie the knots, and ultimately again it falls down on its own. Okay, I'll see what I mean in just a moment. So my dargash, what's the dargash? Amr Ula Arsa de Gada. So I'll say this is fascinating. Arsa de Gada means a bed for mazel. What's a mazel bed? Take a look at Rashi. Arsa de Gada, third line down. Mita Shmiachdim Osala Mazel Tov Vein Mishtamshin Baklum Elamiachdin Osalishros Mazel Tovala. So I'll say, listen to this. They used to have, there used to be a practice. Used to be a practice. Fascinating. The Marashal comments on this. There used to be a practice. Every person has a ministering angel, right? The ministering maloch. So they're a mazel. So there used to be a practice that you would set aside a bed in your house for your mazel maloch, right? For the maloch who watched over you, right? So we'll say, so this is actually quite fascinating because the truth is, it sounds like a very un-Jewish practice, right? But nevertheless, it was done. It was done. This was called the Dargosh, the, Ars, the Arsa de Gado, the bed that was set aside for Maslow, right? That my Maloch watches over me, of course, not literally, but symbolically, right? I feel like I'm always accompanied by my Maslow, by my Maloch, and therefore this is where he sleeps. Okay, Amalei Rav, Alameata, here's the problem with that definition. What do you do? Alameata, Gabi Melech, Tisnan, Kala Amisubin, Aloharez, when it describes the morning practices of the king, it said everyone would sit on the ground and the king sits on the dargosh. So the Gemara says, I understand. So it doesn't make sense. You never sit on a dargosh. No one ever sits on a dargosh. That's the whole point of it. It's a symbolic bed. So it doesn't make sense that no one ever sits on the dargosh, but yet now when the king is sitting Shiva, Dafka during Shiva is when he sits on the dargosh, Maskev Ravashi, it's not such a kasha, my kusha, maybe the that's it's no different than food and drink. Up until now, no one would ever bring food or drink to the king, right? The king sustains himself. Yet during Shiva, everyone brings, brings food and drink to the king. So the Gemara says, So it's just like people now bringing food and drink. Maybe now he also sits on the Dargosh. Rather, I will say, here's the Kasha. This man, Dargosh, in So Elazokfo. What did we just say? We learned that a Dargosh, you don't have to overturn it. Rather, you just stand it up. And if it's really this Arsa de Gada, this bed, this bed that is a symbolic bed for Mazel, why don't you have to turn it over? So the Gemara says, We learned that in general, the din of Kfiya Samita requires that you overturn all of the beds in your home. So why would the Dargush be exempt? To which the Gemara says, In my Kasha, well, maybe the Dargosh is no different than a storage bed. Just like a bed that's used to put stuff on it, that's used for storage, you don't have to overturn it. Maybe the Dargosh is the same thing. You don't have to overturn it. So maybe I'll say, just like the storage bed doesn't have to be overturned, so too the Dargosh doesn't have to be overturned. Rather, if you have a question, here's your question. Shukun Yolomer, Dargosh Matir Karbitov, 
says, what do you do with the dargosh? Untie its knots, and like the bed frame, the bed frame falls down by itself. And if you say that the dargosh is this mazel bed, what knots, what loops does it have? So which of us says, therefore, we're back where we started. What's a dargosh? What's a dargosh? So ki also rabban amaleyahu rabban of Rav Tachliva Bamar Shmei. So we'll say so when Rabban came along, he said the name of Rav Tachliva to have a shchiach b'shuka dil gildoi. Rav Tachliva spent a lot of times in the shuk of the leather workers, and he said, "My dargosh, what's a dargosh? Arsa ditzala. It is a bed made of leather." I will say when you see a bed made of leather, essentially what you have is the following. You have a wood frame, you have a wood frame, and essentially you have a piece of leather that is pulled taut inside of the frame, and that's what actually supports you when you sleep. That's what you sleep on. That's called an arsa de gado, a leather bed, a leather bed. So the Gemara says, Itmar nami arab yermiya, dargosh seiruga misoho, mita seiruga al gaba. So I will say, where lies the distinction between a dargosh and a regular bed is very interesting. So I will say, a regular bed, a regular bed, you took the piece of material, whatever the material was, and you spread it over the top of the frame, right? So the material went over the top of the frame, and it was tied onto the frame like this. Dargosh, on a dargosh bed, if you can imagine, you have the frame, the wooden frame, inside of the sides of the frame, there were holes, you would take, right, the dargosh, the piece of leather had strings that extended out of it, and you would tie the dargosh inside of the frame as opposed to extending the material on top of the frame. Just a different type of bed. So the Gemara says, that's dargosh seirugo misoho. The dargosh was tied inside of the frame. Mita seruga al gaba. Mita, the piece of material was extended over the top of the frame. Am Rabbi Yaakov Barach, Am Rabbi Yosher Ben Levi, Halach Yerb Shem Gamliel, Dalach Hafaz Yerb Shem Gamliel, Itmar Am Rabbi Yaakov Barach, Am Rabbi Asi, Mita, Shenaklita, Yotzin, Yotzin, Zokfa Vedayo. We'll see if you have a canopy bed. So first of all, we have Dargush now. So one opinion says Dargush is the mazel bed. Other opinions that Dargush is simply a leather bed. A leather bed. So we'll say, what if you have a canopy bed? Right, so in this case over here, you have a canopy bed. Now, both say, this is a two-post canopy bed, right? You could have a canopy bed that has four posts. This is a two-post canopy bed with one post at the head, one post at the feet. So what do you do for Avelos in such a bed like this? Zok favadayu. Obviously, you don't have to overturn it because you can't overturn it. Instead, you just stand it up on its side. Turn around, hold on. Yashin al-gabi kisi al-gabi odaini gidol al-gabi karka lo yatsi de chavaso. Both say, during Avelos, a person sleeps on a chair or a person sleeps on a mortar, a large mortar, or on the floor. He has not fulfilled his obligation. Rabbi Yochan, what does that mean? He didn't fulfill his obligation. Shalokiyem kafiyas hamita. He did not fulfill the obligation of kafiyas hamita. So both say, the obligation of overturning your bed is literally just that, overturning your bed. Tan Rabbanon. So both say, we learned in the Braisa, mechabdin umar bitzim beisa avel, umadichin ka'aros vekosos utzluchios vekitonos beisa avel. I will say you could sleep the floor in the base of Adel. Marbit means you could sprinkle water. They used to do this again to keep the dust down on the floor. Madichin karos kosos utzlochos kitonos. You could wash dishes in the house of the Adel. So I will say, so the idea being, even though you're not supposed to do malacha during Avelos, so things that need to be done for the benefit of the household, 
can be done even during Shiva. And you can't bring, I will say, you can't bring, you know, you know, incense or besamim or fragrant spices to the house of the Avel. So the Gemara says, really, Ini, but honey, bar kafra, ain't mevarchin ala mugmar v'lo b'sam beisa avel. Yet we learned that what bar kafra said, you can't make a bracha on sweet-smelling aromatic spices in the beisa avel. So bruchi hu d'lo mevarchin on ha'asuye ma'isinan. Sounds like you can't make a bracha, but you could certainly bring them to which the Gemara says, lo kashi ha beisa avel ha beisa b'nachamin. So it was very interesting. There often used to be two different spaces. There's what's called the Beis HaAvel. The Beis HaAvel is the area in the house where only the Avel is. Only the Avel is. So where only the Avel is, ultimately, again, that you shouldn't bring in aromatic spices. Right? It's not, it's not, it's not in keeping with the general feeling of Avelos. Then there was the Beis HaMenachemim. The Beis HaMenachemim was the area where the Avel received visitors. In the area where the Avel received visitors, there you could bring in order to ensure that the area continues to smell good. Good. We'll say that's the, that's the Gemara Mishnah. And what we'll say is a fascinating story now. Emolichim lebeis ha'avel, lo betavlo, velo ba'az kutlo, velo bekanon el salim. So let's listen to this. When you bring food to the beis ha'avel, so what's this incredible, incredible Mishnah. When you bring food to the beis ha'avel, you can't bring the food on a tray, right, or on a platter, or on a fancy basket, Allah b'salim. Rather, food can only be brought to the house of the Avel in simple baskets. We'll see why that is. We do not say b'chas. Remember again, there was a there was a bracha that was said to the to the Avelim, right? To the Avelim and to the Menachem, to those who came to console the mourner. We'll get into that in just a moment. But we do not say that bracha on Chalamaid. Rabbi says, so now we're talking about over here where death occurred on Yom Tiv on Chalamaid and burial is occurring on Chalamaid. So remember again, we've seen what happens when burial occurs on Chalamaid. Shiva is deferred until after Chalamaid. Taft Yom Tiv. So therefore, again, we don't say birchas avelim on chalamayid, aval omdim b'shura omenachamim, but after the levaya, we stand in a line, we offer short comfort to the mourners, upotrin esarabim, then we tell everyone to go home. Tell her to go home, why? Because remember, again, there is no mourning, there is no avelos on yomtiv. Ein manichin esamita berachov, bosein chalamayid, we don't place the funeral beer in the street, because again, remember, again, we're, we're nervous about, Rashi says over here, La Spido, because normally they would place the funeral beer in the street for Hespedim, for eulogies. But on Chalamai, there are no eulogies. Therefore, we make sure not to place the funeral beer in the street. In order not to encourage eulogy. And again, we never place a woman's funeral beer in the public, right, in the, in the street, Alts covet to her. Again, we'll discuss what that covet is. So the Gemara says, Gemara says, Tarabana, but says, incredible, incredible Gemara. Tarabana, but we show no how you malichin be base ha'avel, ashirin be kauto shal kasef, vishal zav, vaniyin be silin and sarim vishal rava klufa. So listen to this. In the beginning, I'll say, so, you know, it's interesting. In the beginning, even Shiva homes kind of reflected a person's wealth. So they used to bring to the home of the wealthy who are sitting Shiva. They would bring the food on platters of gold and silver, and the poor would have their food brought in basic willow baskets. Now, here's the difference. See, Shiva is very public. 
Shiva is very public. So suddenly, again, what would happen is there were public displays of wealth and conversely, public displays of poverty. Right? So what happens? The poor would become very embarrassed and now everyone saw their level of poverty. So the rabbis instituted that when you bring food to a shiva home, you always bring food in the most basic basket. It literally means baskets made of peeled willow branches. In other words, they say, when you bring food to a shiva home, no fancy utensils, you bring for everyone in the same basic baskets in order not to embarrass the poor. So I will say, the Gemara launches into an exhaustive discussion now about other takanas. In the beginning, rich people would drink out of fine, fine crystal, literally, white glass, fine crystal in the Shiva home, and the Aniyim would drink out of colored glass. Now I will say, once again, Shiva is very public. So essentially, everyone would see your financial station based on what you were drinking out of. The Aniyim became very embarrassed. Chazal instituted that in the Shiva home, no one should drink out of fine crystal. Everyone should drink out of basic glasses in order not to go ahead and embarrass the poor. I will say, just to be clear, just to be clear, Chazal were not anti-wealth, right? Be wealthy, be successful, this is wonderful. What they're trying to be careful with over here is to spare people from embarrassment. Since Shiva, suddenly your home and your lifestyle becomes open to the general public, we want to create a certain equalizer so that no one feels embarrassed. Because otherwise, if, you're, if your particular personal you know, financial status is broadcast to the greater community, people will just be very embarrassed and it's not good. So therefore, what Chazal did is they equalized the mourning practices. Everyone gets food to the Shiva home in the same basic baskets. Everyone drinks out of the same colored glasses. That ultimately, again, the focus should be on mourning, and there should be nothing that distracts the mourner. Along the same lines, I will say, really incredible. So the Gemara says, "Barishona, how you megalim peneashirin or mechasem peneaniim." Rabbi said, "This is incredible. In the beginning, it used to be that at a levaya, at a levaya, they would the rich would have the faces of their dead uncovered. Why?" Because the rich, I will say, people were healthy, right? They were robust. And even in death, ultimately, again, a person lived a healthy lifestyle. So the pain was more accentuated when you saw the robust features, right? And a person looked so healthy, so vital, and yet they passed away. The poor, of course, of course who were often malnourished, kept the faces of their dead covered. So the Gemara says, So what would happen? You go to the Levi of a rich person, the face of the body was uncovered. You go to the Levi of a poor person, the face of the, uh, the, face of the mace was covered because often the mace was malnourished, didn't, didn't look nice. So the poor, once again, would be embarrassed. Chazal instituted, I will say that what? We, can't, we, we do not uncover the face of the dead. 
We do not uncover the face of the dead. Ultimately, again, to go, no matter whether you're poor, no matter whether you're rich, in order to safeguard the feelings of the poor. Now, I will say, I'll just point out over here, this is codified in halacha. This is incredibly important. Incredibly important because we'll say, again, the Shukhan Aruch writes, this is in Yaradeya, Hilchos Avelos, Simen Shin Nun Gin, Shin Nun Gimel, Sif Alit, Barishon Ahayu Mikal and Penea Shirmechas Penea, Shukhan Aruch writes that in the beginning, halacha Lamaisa, they used to go ahead and and uncover the face of the rich, and go ahead and cover the face of the poor, because the face of the poor would often be emaciated, right? Because of, because of, because of um, starvation. So the Gemara says, And therefore, again, the poor people were just very embarrassed about this. instituted, we keep the face of the dead covered, all of the face, in other words, all dead, rich, poor, and I will say, that's why to this very day, again, I will say, there's no such thing as an open casket by, by a Jewish funeral, right? There's no such thing as a viewing by a Jewish funeral. There's even a fascinating discussion in general. What happens, I will say, this happens sometimes, that sometimes a relative wants to see, right? The relative wants to see their parent, their sibling, their spouse. So I'll tell you, in general, I strongly discourage people from doing that. I will say because, again, anyone who's ever seen a person who's passed away, a person looks dramatically different. Once the neshama leaves the body, there's something dramatically different about a way, literally from moment to moment. person's alive one moment, they're gone the next moment. The, the, The face looks different. Everything looks different. And often for a surviving relative, that's not the last image you want to have. The last image you want to have is the image of your loved one with life, not, not, a, not a lifeless body. There's a whole discussion halacha about whether or not relatives are permitted to go ahead and look at the face of their deceased relatives. Different chavra kaddishas, and obviously we know that halacha by most chavra kaddishas is we place either dirt or earthenware shards on the eyes and on the mouth of the mace. Dirt either from Eretz Yisrael, earthenware shards, because it's earthenware. So there are different customs. Some Chaber Kaddishas actually have it that family members place that on the eyes and the mouth of the mace. In which case, of course, the family members are seeing the mace. But other times, the halacha says, we don't look at, we don't look at the mace. So I'll say, that's a halacha lamaisa. Also, person passes away in a hospital, right? The halacha is, the halacha is, we cover the mace. Right, we don't leave the mace uncovered. We cover the mace. That's considered to be covered on mace to cover the mace. And again, based on this Gemara right over here, the Gemara goes right there. In the beginning, they used to take out the rich on a dargish, and they would take out the poor on a clear. Well, cleaver is just like a funeral beer. So what happened? And the poor would become very embarrassed. So they instituted that everyone should be taken out just on a regular funeral beer out of respect for the out of respect for the poor. Good. We'll listen to this. In the beginning, they used to place mugmar. We'll say if a person died because of a stomach ailment, so often the concern was that after the person passed away, there might be an ongoing secretion of waste which could create an odor. So what they used to do is, they would put, they would put mugmar, they would put incense on the funeral beer just to mask the odor. So I'll say, what happened? And I'll say, people who suffered from that same stomach ailment who were alive were embarrassed. They were embarrassed. 
Right, Rabbi said, because again, when you went to a Levaya, when you went to a Levaya, and there was Mugmar, what did you know? What did you know? You know, the person suffered from a stomach ailment. So once again, so people who were alive and suffering with a stomach ailment felt embarrassed because they felt singled out. I was supposed to say, people are sensitive. When a person has a particular issue or condition that sets them apart from other people, they're sensitive about that. So anything that highlights that, there's a sensitivity. So therefore, Chazal instituted, we put mugmar, we put incense by any mace. By any mace. Now, now the truth is, this isn't as prevalent for us today because we have refrigeration. Right? But, but again, they instituted, you put besami, you put mugmar by any mace. For Hashanah, how you makbilin as akilam agabe nidos mesos, they are nidos chayos misbaishos. So I was saying in the beginning, interestingly enough, they used to go ahead and if a woman died, if a woman died, and ultimately, again, maybe she died in a state of being a nida, they would immerse any utensils that she came in contact with before she passed away. And this embarrassed women who were nidos, who were nidos. What happened? So they instituted whenever a woman passes away, we automatically immerse anything she came in contact with before she passed away, whether she was a nida, wasn't the nida, in order to create, so what you begin to see is, Chazal just wanted to create standardized morning practices. When you create standardized morning practices, you ensure that no one becomes embarrassed. So ultimately, again, same idea. That if a person died and he was a Zav, they would go ahead and immerse the utensils because he was a Zav. The living Zavim would become embarrassed. They said, you know what? We'll just immerse everything. We'll, say, we'll just finish with this. Barishona, we'll say, here is the greatest example of this. Barishona, Rabbi said, get ready for this. It used to be, get ready. It used to be that the cost of a Levaya was more painful for the family than the actual loss of their loved ones. Right? Rabbi said, isn't that incredible? The cost of Levaya. Rabbi said, why? Because there was competition. So today, people do it with chasanas or with simchas or with vacations. So right, it used to be, it used to be, by the way, they still did it with chasanas, with bar mitzvahs, and with vacations, and with houses, and with cars, and with everything else. They also, also did it with levias, right? Another, it was another form of competition, to the point, I will say, that there was social pressure to put on the mother of all levias. And what happens, I will say, so what, what ended up happening? It became so acute that what would happen? People literally would leave the body of their loved ones by the side of the road. Right? They would create a mitzvah situation. It was so painful and it was so difficult and it was so expensive to put on a proper levaya. There was a, so the, the pressure of it. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine feeling so much pressure to put on a levaya that you could not afford that you would literally leave the body of your loved one by the side of the road, knowing that some other compassionate Jew would come along. It would be a mace mitzvah. For a mace mitzvah, there's no pressure to put on a great levaya. And that's what they would do. Ubarchin, came along, and Rabbi Gamliel went ahead and literally arranged a very simple levaya for himself. He said, only bury me. So they would have, they would bury in beautiful shrouds, right? There was silk shrouds and this shrouds and different shrouds, all different kinds of shrouds. Rabbi Gamil said, his last Old Testament, I want to be buried in a simple linen shroud. 
And I will say this became the practice of everyone afterwards, after Rabbi Gamliel, to be buried in simple linen shrouds. Today, we bury the dead even in a simple sheet of canvas, only worth a zuz. Rabbi Gamliel is responsible for the equalization of contemporary burial practices. Simple shroud, simple casket, no competition ultimately again in mourning practices, thereby save anyone from humiliation. Identification purposes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>